0: the Jagger wants it back, he gets it back and leaves it through for Holtby! Oh, it's off the line! It's off
1: the line!
0: Hey guys, what's up? And welcome to another episode of the Off The Line podcast by YFJ. Today is Monday, 12th of October. And I'm joined by the usual Caleb, John and Vishnuji. But we've got a special guest for us this time. It's my cousin Josh. What's up Josh? How are you doing? How's it going?
2: You're alright boys. Thank- thanks for having me.
0: You're to, you to thanks thank us and all. Like, <laughs> this is this is an open forum. Anyone can join. We're very welcome.
1: Yeah, it's our pleasure to have you, Josh, and uh, get some real insight from you today. Yeah.
0: How are you boys George,
1: doing? what's
0: on the... How are you boys doing before we get into all that? We're going to do pleasantries first, Caleb. You know, we're... yeah,
1: sorry, I'm a bit uh trigger happy today. Uh, <laughs> doing well, George. Uh just you know, looking forward to the return of Premier League football. International break has been like, you know
0: how it is all the time. I saw I saw a tweet yeah. recently which said, um, I think you 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 posted that, about how international break during Corona is the most fucked up thing that could ever happen. Yeah.
1: It's sus. Yes. <laughs> Everyone
0: is trying to say things <laughs> uh, Yeah. So this week's, sorry, this episode's agenda, we've got transfer talk of Liverpool and Everton, where we just break down their transfers and see what moves they made in the latest transfer window. And funnily enough, it is also the Merseyside derby this weekend. So we thought of clubbing in the preview for that as well. After that, we've got Arsenal transfer talk and what all what they've done to bolster their squad, as well as a preview of their next fixture against City. And finally, to round up, we've got the transfer analysis, transfer talk, sorry, of Wolves. How does that sound, boys?
3: Sounds good. Looking forward to it, George.
0: Awesome, awesome. I can hear the excitement in your voice. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let, let's get right to it. Let's start off with Liverpool. Uh, they were very stingy at the beginning of this summer transfer window. Or so it seemed, they gave off that kind of impression where they took a really long time to make a miserly bid for Thiago, considering his value and his ball-playing ability and his performance in the Champions League final. But finally, they managed to secure him and almost uh, almost a day later, they got Diego Jota from Wolves, a surprising transfer. I want to start off with you, Josh, since you're a Liverpool fan. What what do you think of that? those two signings? And as well as a couple of players that also left the club as well.
2: Yeah, I, I think the main areas that were of uh, improvement needed have been addressed. I mean, um it was evident that the the forward line in terms of backup options just weren't up there. I mean, the drop-off from Mane to Arie, for example, is massive. So Jota coming in and being able to kind of do a job there is um is really useful for the club, I think. Um Thiago, I think was an interesting one. Uh, he kind of flirted with the club a lot beforehand. And I'm not sure it was kind of an essential move that we needed to make, but Obviously, when you have a world-class player like Thiago kind of calling out for uh, that Liverpool move, you've you've got to make it. He's easily top five centimeters in the world, so I think it is a perfect transfer in that sense.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. What do you think both of them could bring? Not just for the from a system point of view, but from their ability on the ball. Oh, what, what do you think is going to happen for the club? since the arrival of those two boys?
2: I mean, I think Thiago offers something completely different to the rest of the midfield. He almost controls that midfield, which Liverpool didn't have beforehand. I mean, Fabinho can play that kind of sixth role and can and dictate play from there. But Thiago's passing range and his ability to kind of dribble through and create you know, space and opportunities is, is much farther than anything that Liverpool currently have. I think in terms of Jota, Jota's a pressing machine. And that's kind of ideal for what, what Klopp looks for. And I, I think he's got that potential to get a lot more goals than the likes of Origi and Shakiri, for example. So in terms of if there was an injury to, let's say, Mane or Salah, Jota coming in definitely kind of fills in for that a, a lot better than the likes of Origi or Shakiri would do.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the passing range... I don't, I don't think anyone in the Liverpool squad has a passing range that... Thiago has so definitely I
2: think I think Trent comes close but Thiago is just in kind of a league of his own for that
0: yeah definitely can't agree more Vishnu what what do you what did you make of that Thiago performance that cameo against he can't say cameo actually he had played 45 minutes of football but against Chelsea you, you you probably saw him pretty closely what did you make of him
3: yeah I think he came on instantly looked very comfortable very dominant on the ball And I think he clocked the most number of passes the whatever record they had uh, earlier. I think it was 75 or something in a half of football, which was pretty impressive for someone who hadn't trained even for a week coming into the game. But again, uh, for me, what interests me most about the Thiago signing is the fact that he instantly gives a different dimension to that Liverpool midfield. As Josh mentioned earlier, none of the other midfielders or even the other Liverpool players have the passing range that Thiago offers to the team. And Klopp in Liverpool have been playing a sort of 4-3-3 system. And although it has evolved all over the years, it's mainly been sort of fundamentally the same. Now with someone like Thiago, would we see a shift to something like a double pivot, which could be interesting in some games, as that was the role that Thiago used to play so well for Bayern. So that's something that definitely is, uh, is something that I'm looking forward to over the season. Another area that they strengthened uh, is to buy Simikas, who's a backup left back to Robertson. And I think that's, that's not something that you like look at the first 11 because he doesn't come into the starting lineup. But if you look at last season, if Robertson gets injured, there's not much cover at left back. You probably have someone like a James Milner or even a Fabinho to slot in that place. But now they have a proper proper left back, and I think with respect to a squad, it's really important to have depth. And as uh, Josh was saying about Jota, he's really good at pressing, but I'm not sure if he uh, can fit in seamlessly to the system. Uh, He scored a couple of goals, and he looked very impressive. I'm just waiting and watching on how good he can be over the coming weeks, especially if Mane's not able to play in the upcoming game weeks. But yeah. for me now, yeah. uh, role has been heavily scrutinized I think by a lot of people. I still like him as a player and I think he offers a lot to the system. And uh, It would have been probably ideal to find someone who could sort of slot into that role in time. Maybe, I, I-, I can't think of any names, but that's probably someone they don't have a backup for. But they look really strong and looking forward to Liverpool another deal I like to point out is how they sold Rian Brewster to Sheffield for I think something upwards 25, yeah. 25 yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
3: for someone who hasn't played a lot of Premier League football maybe what a couple of games at max to get uh, I more than 200 so, million
0: I, yeah. I, I, I don't even think he's Maybe yeah. Yeah, we'll a couple do. of
3: substitute appearances. Right? Probably, Nothing more yeah, than yeah. that. Nothing like more
0: it. than that.
3: No. Yeah, to get some someone like that sold off for greater than 20 million, 25 million, as you said, is a very good deal. And I think uh, they have a buyback as well, which is so which makes me question why Sheffield even bothered. Sure, he's a great player and backs a potential. But if he starts to show any glimpses of that, I'm sure Liverpool will go back and bring him back to Liverpool. So that's
0: a good deal as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think the whole Firmino situation is particularly worrying because if he does not have a good game, then our fallback option is to have an out-and-out striker as Origi. And the the drop in quality is insane. The second Origi is on the pitch, he feels like he doesn't belong there, unfortunately. And I, I don't know, He he comes up in these big games, I think I can give him that much. I think anyone can give him back, but on a consistent basis, on a consistent level, he doesn't really match the levels that Firmino can give on a pitch. So it, it is worrying. They tried to mould Tacky, Tacky Minamino, into this sort of false nine, number 10 strike, a weird amalgamation of a player. I still don't know his role in this team, but it doesn't really come out in the Premier League. It comes out in cup competitions. Community Shield, FA Cups, but then usually against weaker opponents. So I'm not really sold. I'm I'm very happy. I'm probably the most happiest as a Liverpool fan when I see him perform because I don't think he's got his fair share of you know honors as a Liverpool player in the sense of game time and performances that he can be proud about. And obviously the golden assists uh still yet to have a goal com- contribution in the Premier League. So, I it is weird. It's weird that we still don't have a proper replacement for that and then why we didn't go for one. Also, the whole centre-back issue was also something that we faced with. Yeah,
3: I was just going to ask you, like, what do you think about the centre-back options? Because clearly, if you look at the Villa game, they were targeting that right-hand side with Joe Gomez and Trent. So, maybe yeah. that's also something.
1: I mean, more than anything else, uh, George, if I may cut in that, Yeah, sure. Uh, I want to know your opinion about like what moving forward would be the Liverpool midfield three. As Fabinho has looked way more comfortable in the centre back role um, when Gomez looks so shaky, what do you see happening with that midfield three uh, in the future?
0: Yeah, honestly, I, I, I don't think he's going to transition Fabinho into a centre back. Anytime soon on a permanent basis, I think since he would always prefer Gomez at that real role, and if Matip is not injured, he would all he would slot him in. I think Fabinho is like a worst case option, but a good a good worst case option. As regards to the midfield, honestly, I can I can see Henderson getting dropped for Thiago, and I I know it sounds crazy, but. You you can't Fabinho Fabinho plays at number six probably better than Henderson though Henderson has played in that role I think it is Fabinho's role Henderson likes to play a little bit more ahead than the 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 pivot but that is kind of Thiago's position and if you're gonna compare quality I know we don't if we if we don't have Henderson a lot of ball. You, the, the yeah, that's
1: that's what Henderson's game is totally about, right? Like yeah. he just adds a different dynamic to that exactly. team. That exactly. lifts the entire squad.
0: So exactly. So you're gonna to have to choose whether, or you're gonna to have to drop Fabinho, make Thiago into a, you know, a proper CDM, a pivot and ball-winning pivot, which means that he can't really press that high up. And you kind of you don't you don't get to unlock that that kind of realm of Thiago's play. Where I, I know that he can switch the ball really well, but there's a whole different game where once once he's on the front foot, he can dribble out of situations. He can make those forward passes that sometimes I just feel like we don't do as a Liverpool squad. We try to just look for the wide option, and we don't have that penetration. Keita's there for that, but as of late, his form is been is dipping. So, yeah, no, do
1: Liverpool fans actually rate Kata as a football player? I'm not really sure. He's looked pretty
2: average since
1: he's come.
0: You want to take that away, Josh?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Kata came in with uh, bags of potential. His performance at, at Leipzig were, were incredible. Um, he's taken a while to kind of adapt to the Premier League. Uh, he's built up a lot recently. I, I think it's it's just a matter of match fitness, to be honest. I mean, when he's on his game, he's incredible. I mean, he he's, his dribbling ability is, um, it's really good. And he can pick out that pass, which I'd say a lot of our midfielders can't in terms of, you know, trying to drive forwards and um, penetrate that defense. And obviously, Thiago coming in, he kind of offers that to a higher quality. And so it'll be interesting to see if Kater does um, still f- kind of slot into that midfield and get that game time. But I, I do personally rate him. I think he has um, a good amount of potential for the future. I think it is more an issue that Klopp doesn't seem to trust him. Uh, whether that's kind of a, a defensive um, position that that he doesn't see Catter having a good good amount of strength in, or uh, if it's a matter of consistency, I don't know. But um, I'd say with time, Catter will slowly adapt to that position, and um, he'll he'll hopefully start to to get a bit more of a run of games and hopefully we will see some some form pick up but i, I do think he's got that potential
0: yeah yeah. Much. yeah and and when i think vishnu touched upon this about the whole four-two-three-one formation so if you we were going to have like a double pivot formation then he would probably transition one of the midfielders into sort of like this number 10 role and you saw and we, we mentioned this on the pod before but we saw glimpses of wijnaldum doing the same against chelsea Where he almost scored, he was in. He was very in high up. He was in the box, and he actually got the ball off from like a deflection from keep one of Kepa saves, and he just put put it wide. So, um, so yeah, so that also could be an opportunity. But then if he does do that, um, you probably can't transition every single midfielder that we have into that role. So we become pretty. what is it dependent on a starting 11? And we can't have that much rotation. Anyways, enough about Liverpool. Let's talk about their rivals, Everton, who've also made considerable moves during the transfer window by bringing in the likes of James Rodriguez, who I personally thought, and people have quoted me on this, who would be an absolute shambles in the Premier League. But I was <laughs> wrong. You we were humble. I would prove wrong. humble yeah. I I was humbled on every single game week. Man's put in some insane performances week in week out. I mean I know it's just a start, but yeah, I I don't I don't see it going down anytime soon. As well as strengthening the midfield with Alan and Docore. So Caleb, you, oh, you to... also did
1: go a little bit suspect on Alan as well, didn't you? I did. Was you, like you, see... you, you
0: was kind of old. But, like, right? he's, yeah. but he's a Serie A player, and like I thought, yeah, he probably passes
1: prime. You no, know? he's completely slotted into that role perfectly for
0: yeah, yeah, that's... Credit to Ancelotti. Yeah, take it away. What, what are your thoughts? I feel uh, like
1: I feel like Decore is not even getting the credit that he deserves. Like, uh, yeah, ever since the first game, I did see, I did watch that game very closely. After that, not too much. Uh, did see them attacking really well, but Decore has been like you know, just mopping everything up and uh, you know starting them off on the right foot so they can transition into attack, which has obviously led like calvert Loan to have also such. Amazing success in the Premier League and uh, in international football as well, as we've seen the last last weekend. So it's going to be interesting to actually see the midfield battle against Liverpool. Uh, like I mentioned before, I hope Everton does do well. And like going just based on form, they probably look like they are favourites for this game, which sounds absolutely insane thinking about everything that Liverpool's done. But after that. That humiliating performance against Aston Villa, Everton should probably be really confident going into this game. Josh, what do you think about this Mazisay Derby in particular? It's completely different dynamic that we've seen
0: Yeah, the past. I'm, not, I'm not particularly excited for this one. So Liverpool at Liverpool at Goodison has always been a a tr- tough nut to crack. I think Klopp has found it difficult. Um, even Marco Silva's shambles of a squad would have managed managed to pull away with that from that game with the point and not undeservedly so they used to put in solid performances so I I know all the Everton players are going to be really fired up especially since we've come out from a 7-2 loss they're, they're really going to get in on it what do you think Josh?
2: You yeah think? I mean Klopp hasn't got three points at Goodison for years isn't it I think maybe 2016-17 was the early year he got it and it always seems like um, um, Klopp's kryptonite, almost, when he comes to uh, to Goodison. He seems to not be able to break their defence down and transition play seems to be slow. And so what's quite interesting about this year is um, Everton do look a lot more attacking. They've got a lot more quality. I think it'll be a lot more of an open game. And hopefully we see some goals, which we haven't seen in the past in um, in the Liverpool-Everton game at Goodison. Um I think definitely obviously coming off that seven two loss, we will see a rejuvenated Liverpool side. I don't think they're gonna slack or or drop off after that. They'll it's almost a kick up the arse. And I think we will see a good Liverpool performance. It's it's a matter of whether Trent and Gomez are, are performing, for example. And if that right hand side is targeted and they're not, then that could be interesting. I think. I think there'll be a lot of um attack coming down that side and whether there's a lot of goals leaked because of that, we'll have to see.
1: Van yeah. has looked kind of suspect this season, hasn't he? Uh ever since we saw him in that England squad, the first international fixture. I'm not sure who he played. He looked pretty rusty in that game, and ever since, there's been like you know a decline in the Trent Alexander Arnold story. Not true. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he just hasn't hit form this season. Yeah, I mean he. Came out last year, all flying colors, um, assists in a lot of the first few games. He had a really good performance against Arsenal, but other than that, his his passing uh, kind of accuracy hasn't been great. He hasn't got as many assists as Robertson this year. I think we'll have to see if this is just a blip or if it's a drop in form, but it is quite worrying, to be honest.
1: We do forget that. Go, we go forget on. that uh, Alexander Arnold is just 22 still. Like he's, we forget that because he's so good whenever he plays. So it probably is just like you know a flipping form, and he's probably going to bring it back and get back to the form that he was showing before. So as a Liverpool fan, you guys, I don't think you should worry too much about him. But maybe for the next game, uh, with Everton going as hard as they are, could be suspect.
0: Yeah. Vishnu, do you want to add on to those transfer talk insights? I'm sure you want to mention Ben Godfrey. I know, I know, I know you're going to mention him, but I'm just going to put <laughs> him there and just let everyone know. I think that that, that was also an interesting signing because there's now a competition for centre back, especially when Holgate's injured. So yeah, think the yeah, whole so... situation for Everton and what it means yeah. going into the Liverpool game.
3: So. Um... So Everton, as we've touched upon earlier, have done some really good business. They've basically basically bought themselves a premium midfield and they've fitted in seamlessly over the past few weeks, which have been a bit surprising, to be honest, but looking really really good and really really attacking, especially James Rodriguez and Decore. Another one who surprised me was Alan, because he's never played in sort of that, like he's at least not regularly, in that lone defensive midfield role in the four-three-three, it was usually Jorginho preferred most of the time under Sarri, as you would all know. But uh, I, so I was a bit uh, skeptical on how he would fit in in that role. But then he's shown really good qualities and had a few good games. And again, Ben Godfrey was a good signing from Norwich, especially because one Norwich is relegated. So there's not much competition and you can pick him on the cheap, but also that center back is a position where Everton lacked quality depth and they were looking for players like Tomori from Chelsea to get on loan, even on deadline day. Uh, But, oh sorry, not on deadline day, that was West Ham, Ham, my bad. They were looking looking at Tomori earlier in the transfer window to get him on loan, but it did not happen because Tomori decided to stay at Chelsea. So Godfrey was sort of the fallback option and in the end they ended up getting him. So I think uh, I think they did good with that and but the thing I what worries me most about Everton or a weak link in this court is certainly Pickford and uh, if Liverpool can get enough shots which I sure hope so they would score goals because Pickford's had an awful season so far. and To be honest, he hasn't been great even in the past few seasons as well. He's had good games. He sort of reminds me of Kepa in a weird sense, where he is short but very agile and has a good has good reflexes, but he's not commanding in the box, not physical enough and makes a lot of errors. And has Kepa had good he, games? Yeah, he had a good season under Sari. A whole season.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah I, I, until, until that debacle at the FA Cup, right? Was yeah, yeah. So that was sort of the, <laughs> the low point. Part, the point yeah. Yeah. And Everton did look to bring in keepers and they eventually did bring in Robin Olsen from Roma, but just, I have no idea who this guy is, but reading up about him, he apparently has a penchant for making a lot of errors, so I don't think that's enough competition to even dislodge someone like Pickford.
2: Yeah, Looking, I was really surprised yeah. as well. They were, they were linked with the likes of Romero and Gazzaniga on, on deadline exactly. day. Exactly. And the fact they opted for Olsen, I mean, I, it's probably that they weren't able to get the other two, but the drop in quality from those two to Olsen it is quite big. So.
3: Yeah, I think Romero or Gazzaniga, both proven Premier League quality players, would have been much more impactful rather than someone like Olsen. I think that was just a sort of desperation signing towards the end and because apparently United were not willing to let go of Romero on a loan, which sort of scuppered the deal. So yeah, I think keeper is definitely a worry for Everton. That might be something that Liverpool looked the target in this game.
0: Yeah. Anyways, moving on, we've got next up is Arsenal who did some moves on deadline day and as well as getting signing a new contract for Aubameyang uh but yeah we had to witness the terrible pun of it's time to partay oh that was that was shocking you know it was coming but like every time you see it you just
1: no Thomas no party yeah yeah no that
3: was cringe
0: that was so cringe man like it, it got old so far I think it got old before even they started because of those
3: Arsenal fans using these lame hashtags
0: yeah. Anyway. Wasn't, wasn't the Aubameyang one Yo Pierre,
1: Yo Pierre. Oh. Even even better than uh, no Thomas no party I love that one <laughs> big fan big fan of
0: that
1: anyway, yeah. uh, my what I felt about Arsenal and their you know their business most importantly what I who should be worried about this is Pepe because Villian has come in he's looked okay uh, the first game, he was absolutely excellent. After that, it's been kind of whatever. Even even then, Pepe should be worried about his place in that squad because he's been absolutely average since he's come in. No one really talks about how bad Pepe has been. He doesn't get enough stick for it. If he was playing for United, you know that he's going to be trolled every day of the week. So Pepe should be really trying to up his game there. Another interesting deal is they uh, managed to get Sabayos back on loan I, I feel like surprises always look good in Austin. Sometimes yeah, he has his uh, bad days, but all Arsenal players do. Just one of those things that's in their DNA, right? So, although um, I'm glad to see actually that they have, you know, done some business to fix that defense because my goodness gracious, that defense was absolute shit for how many seasons now? So Gabriel looks good. He looks like a really good signing, and hopefully he can kick on from that and not uh, become like all the other Arsenal defenders. What do you guys think about? I think the most important deal for Arsenal was keeping Aubameyang. Though all the other deals are just secondary.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I love the Will deal. It's it's the 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 way that he slots into Arteta's system is brilliant. And how he tucks in narrow. Even though he's a winger, he does get pretty narrow. And Arsenal haven't done this in a long time, where they have wingers that get that get tuck in narrow. And and Arteta's taken a lot from Pep in terms of, you know, having attacking with five five people. So Pep usually does it with his wingers and his midfielders, but Arteta has more of a Liverpool-esque attack where he pushes his fullbacks high up. So that does mean that his wingers, like William, like Aubameyang, are allowed to get in more narrow. And I, I love that William can take up this role because I think he's so deadly when he gets in narrow more than he is on playing out and out on the wing. So I love that. And yeah, Caleb, I completely agree. The high, I think the highlight of this transfer window was that they were able to keep Aubameyang. That was, no, though he wasn't a new signing. Just the retention of him has really, you know. Put this club still where it is. Not, not that
1: it's anywhere. Relevant. They've of <laughs> relevant. George, George. Although I just want to ask you this: uh, since they're playing City this this weekend, do you think William is going to cause problems to Benjamin Mendy, who you're a huge fan of?
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I, I absolutely hope so. I absolutely hope so. I, I hope he pulls down his pants and that we can all see it. Yeah, but. Yeah, so sorry to get sidetracked from that. But yeah, Josh, what do you think about the the whole Arsenal situation and the different signings from all across the, the pitch?
2: Yeah, I think obviously that defence has been an absolute mess for the last few years. So it's nice to see them slowly trying to improve that. I agree. I think Gabriel's a, a brilliant signing. I think he's got huge potential and he's looked really good from what we've seen so far. Saliba coming in as well from that loan. I think he's really developed at um, St. etienne and I think he's going to add real depth to that defense. And I know Arteta's not really played him too much so far, but from what I've seen, I really rate him. I think he could be a top-class defender in the future, so I'm excited to see what he has. Obviously, Thomas Partey as well. I think he's probably one of the best in his position in the world. And so the fact that Arsenal have kind of highlighted that, they did lack in that position. Obviously, they had Torreira, but Arteta doesn't seem to trust Torreira too much. And to kind of to fix that position and bring in someone that's of such high classes, obviously adding a, a lot to that. I do think they're still kind of short on the midfield. I would have liked to see our join them. Uh, I think he's a top, top player as well. And he would have brought something different to that midfield in terms of kind of driving forwards and uh, the passing range that he has as well. But Arsenal have done a great job this winter. I think if they hadn't got Partey, then it would be a bit more questionable. But the fact that they were able to secure him kind of changed that for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know,
3: when I'm looking at the Arsenal signings individually, they all sort of make sense. And I like the players they brought in, and even the Obama extension sort of makes sense. But when I'm looking at Arsenal as a squad and where they would go in the future, it's sort of concerning in the sense that I'm not looking at when I'm looking at Arsenal right now, are they a Champions League? team? Are they a top fourteen this season? Maybe. And the most important players in their squad, be it Willian, Aubameyang, uh David Lewis, and all those players are old. And when you're transitioning from an old squad to a new one, you sort of build your squad around a younger core of players. But in this window, especially, you've seen a longer, you've seen longer-term deals given to sort of older players, which is a bit concerning for me from a squad building point of view. But again, they, they're they really good players in their own, but from a squad perspective, it is slightly concerning and might be something to relook really at in further windows. Even Thomas Partey is, I think, 27. So again, in a couple of seasons, he'll be pushing 30. What are they gonna do then? They'll have to find someone else. And again, it's not ideal when you're transitioning from managers and sort of, I think now Arteta looks to be the one to, with or appointed with a long-term point of view. So maybe you should have started or tried to start with a younger core of players, but yeah, that's a slight worry. But looking at the players who've come in, especially Gabriel is someone I think will be really good. With respect to Saliba, He is—he has bags of potential, but I think the plan was to get him on loan for another season, which didn't materialize, and they're sort of stuck with him right now. He's been omitted from the European squad. Don't know what's gonna happen there. Or are they gonna loan him to a championship team, or are they gonna uh, use him as a squad player? Or something that's left to be seen. But yeah, that's that's a slight worry as well. But overall, they look a decent squad and way better than. How it was last season? Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm um, that that midfield, like Josh mentioned, that there isn't much attacking presence. There isn't much penetration. Danny Sabayos does offer that, but I think he's the only one in that midfield that really offers that, you know, directness from that part of the pitch. So, and he did he did show that during the Liverpool game as well.
3: So. Yeah, Partey is an incredible dribbler. He's sort of like a very press-resistant. Dribbler, he can carry the ball forwards, and he has a knife for passes. But you don't see that in the Atletico team because of the way they play. Yeah, but it'd be interesting how he fits in.
1: Definitely, I feel Arteta should be let down that uh, they couldn't sec- uh, secure Awa from Lyon. Uh, he would have been the perfect signing for that midfield. Oh, yeah. Everything that you just mentioned right now, he checks all the boxes, and we've seen him do it against like City. So. It would have been a really good signing,
3: but you know. Yes, how to I, I I feel really like good. that's the profile of player in terms of age and potential that they should have looked to
1: yeah.
3: sort of build around. But in the end, I think it was yeah, more you... of an hour or parte and they went for party and said for whatever reasons.
1: You definitely made a good point because they are in another couple of seasons. They are going to have to transition again because once Obameyang starts like losing his pace, yes, he can finish for sure. No one's doubting that, but his pace does bring so much to his game. So, and him and the other players that you mentioned, getting old, getting up there, uh, they're gonna to have to go through this transition phase all over again. And, uh, you know, Arsenal fans aren't gonna be patient with the board or with Arteta if results are not gonna go that way. So we could see some quality content from Arsenal fan TV in the next few seasons.
2: I think there's also the question of whether they'll be able to mould Martinelli into that forward line better this year. I, th- I think he's he's got great potential as well, and uh, he's a he's a high quality player, and so hopefully he can he can kind of fill in for Bamian where where necessary. I think what's also yeah. interesting about that our deal is it seems to be a valuation kind of thing. I think they were 10 million or so off being able to buy him, and they signed um, Pablo Mari at the same time as well. He was what 10 million as well, so. It's a question of why they did that and didn't put the funds to our.
3: Yeah, a lot of questions were asked regarding those kind of deals, especially the deals for Mari and Cedric Suarez, because of their close links to their agent. I think it was Juraption, Kia Juraption, with Arsenal now looking at players from particular agents. They've sort of drifted from sort of a high scouting analytics recruitment to a new agents in contact-based approach. And there's a whole lot of restructuring going on at Arsenal. with now Eldu as technical director and Arteta as the manager who's going to spearhead both. And I think both Mari and Cedric Suarez are uh, clients of Jurab So maybe that's something suspect there as well. We don't know. But yeah, that that was also sort of weird deals that they pulled through.
0: Yeah, indeed. So... This new rejuvenated Arsenal side faces City at in London or in the Etihad. Is someone going to tell me?
3: Oh, it's at the Etihad.
0: Caleb, Caleb, you're supposed to be the stat guy. I know it's not a stat, but you're supposed to be the, be there with the facts, you know? I mean,
1: like, you're the
3: host.
0: You should have known that. Bro, so that's
3: on you. Pardon Would you say it was at the Etihad? It's at the Etihad, yeah. It's
0: at the Etihad. So, we got so repeat this new rejuvenated Arsenal side is going to face City at the Etihad. Caleb, what do you think of this matchup? We're minus Mendy, if you if you can. No, no,
1: Arsenal gonna get absolutely smashed. So <laughs> can't wait for that. Uh, but I don't like watching City win, obviously. Although they just, I feel uh, De Bruyne hasn't, you know, been at the peak of his powers this season yet. Again, that is that's the key word, there, yet because he can turn any game on its head. So if De Bruyne gets. Enough time on the ball and he can find his uh the forward line then it's GG's for Arsenal and uh City are gonna probably gonna take the win here. Uh I would like to see Billian absolutely rinse Mendy and I think that's something that they should look to exploit because he's looked horrible in all of his games. Like Wolves completely uh, had his pants pulled on most of the time Adama did a good job on it. So, that's definitely a point to
2: exploit there. Yeah, I mean, they really struggle against Leeds, especially in that second half. I think defensively, they, they look very frail. Um, Mendy especially. Um, Laporte doesn't look anywhere near as good as as he has uh, in the past. And without a, an out-and-out striker, Aguero and uh, Jesus both out, I think it could be a worrying season for them, to be honest.
0: yeah. Vishnu, you want to draw some parallels between uh, the last time Arsenal and City faced, which was in the FA Cup, which Arsenal got the edge over his, you know, his master, so to speak. And Arsenal won in the cup tie. Would you think Arsenal is going to employ the same tactics that he used back there?
3: Yeah, I think uh, it'd be an interesting game because the way they are both, or at least philosophically, in terms of tactics tactics, they both come as similar as you can hope. And especially after Arteta's total legion under Guardiola, they sort of like read from the same book so to speak. And Arteta's already got one over Pep, as you mentioned. Uh, And he might look to employ similar tactics but I'm not really sure because City are probably going to play slightly different systems. So instead, it It looks like 4-2-3-1 is the preferred go-to formation until at least the striker is back for Pep. And then I think Arteta would sort of tweak his system a little bit so as to combat with. Uh, But I can't see Arsenal winning here. I I still think City would be too strong for them. Uh, Unless, again, like they can get some joy down that left-hand side of City where Mendy has been targeted in the past. And even in this season, might be the shape or might be the personnel that they have at their disposal. City has struggled to create big chances. Like uh, in a sort of a feature of the City team over the past few seasons, you've always seen City being really dominant on the ball, even against teams who are sitting back, but they've also created loads and loads of chances and really high quality chances. When you see the stats, you would see City dominate in terms of shots, but it's not just low-quality shots. It's high-quality chances. And that is the reason that they've averaged so many goals over the past few seasons. But that's not something that you're you're seeing this season. And that's something worrying from a City point of view. And again, Arsenal are also creatively not that great. They also don't create a lot of chances, especially under Arteta. And I think that's something that people overlook. But Arsenal don't really create much, even against the lower teams. They don't create a lot. Uh, and so it's sort of a weird game, which I can't think of it being sort of like a deadlock. But if it's like you were going into that game with two teams who are struggling to create chances, but I feel that City have that extra quality that might still pull through and beat Arsenal.
0: Yeah, yeah, as in the first, the first goal against Arsenal, Liverpool, sorry, against City last time in the FA Cup was down that, that side where uh, the right hand side and um, uh, Pepe got a cross in and then Aubameyang tidily finished it off. So, uh, So yeah, so I, I think definitely, I think Arteta is going to do the same thing. He's going to play out from the back. And he's going to play out of the press, something that we've seen, we've talked about before on the pod, and it seems to work. It worked against Liverpool, and he likes to be pretty direct in in that in that front. And as I've been mentioned before, on the uh, targeting on the right hand side, Caleb, have we missed out anything? No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I take the silence as a no.
1: <laughs> I, I muted myself by mistake. No, I actually just agree with you. Um, I feel, like Vishnu said, uh, we might be in for like, a boring game with not a lot of chances, but again, that City quality, with whatever chances that they do get, they're probably going to finish it off. So that's why I think City are just going to run away with it. It could, be, it could go either way, but it could go like,
0: you know, just a high-scoring game for one of the teams and I do feel that it's going to be City. All right then. All right, then to then to wrap up the pod, we'll, we'll just talk about the the last team and break down their transfers. And that's Wolverhampton Wanderers, who brought in a couple of signings because of their uh, recent exits uh, that they had. Um, most notably, Fabio Silva. And, um, Nelson Samedo at right back as well. Um, Portugal FC, yeah, Yeah, Portugal FC <laughs> definitely. And as well as getting Hoover from, uh, Liverpool. So Josh, you want to take the reins on this one? Give us a little bit of insights on why they did some of the deals that they did and what impacts they're going to have on the forthcoming season.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd like to come out here and say that I think Wolves have actually weakened this window. Um, I think. Doherty was a class right-back and Semedo is a very good right-back as well but I, I don't think he's up to Doherty's levels to be honest and um, Doherty hasn't had the greatest start at Spurs but um, he was putting in great performances for Wolves last year and he it was it was really strong down that right-hand side and they've also they've lost Jota to Liverpool and they haven't really replaced him to be honest I mean I know they have Podence and Neto I think Podence is, is a great player and uh, he obviously showed his skills um, in terms of that game against City earlier this season. But other than that, I kind of expected Wolves to really strengthen their left back, uh, which they haven't done. They've brought in Markel, who's a good prospect, but uh, they still haven't really got a nailed down player in that position. And um, across across the midfield as well, they haven't really got a sort of driving attacking midfielder there either. Um but they they have got Fabio Silva i think that's quite an interesting deal um from what i've read in terms of um some of his old managers and, and people in portugal say that he has got bags of potential and he could be the next big thing but whether he whether he kind of gets that time this year with uh, Hibs being on the form still and obviously a top striker we'll have to see
0: yeah yeah definitely Vishnu you got any more insights thread
3: yeah, for me, uh, again, the Doherty deal was a bit of a surprise because, mm, not just because of that they sold him, but at the price, I think it was sub 20, which in the English market is peanuts. It's like you saw Ryan Brewster getting sold for 25 mil and Matt Doherty being sold for 18 mil. I think the age definitely plays a factor, but still it looks like a very low evaluation for a player of that quality. And looking at the incomings, uh, Semedo again for I think 30 odd million, which is suspect again. Uh, In this market especially, I think paying that kind of money for someone like Semedo, especially since you know that uh, Basa were trying to offload him actively. I don't think Bulls did a good job in terms of the prices. They've also bought in Fabio Silva, and as Josh mentioned, he has bags of potential, and so they say. But he hasn't played a lot, and to pay close to, what, 40 million or 35 million for someone who hasn't really played, especially in the Portuguese League, is again a bit suspect. And I want to circle back all that suspect to how close Wolves are with Jorge Mendes, the super agent, and how much of a role he plays in the day-to-day uh, recruitment activities of Wolves. So that's probably a definitive factor or deciding factor in the incomings and outgoings that Wolves have done. So as you see, you, as Caleb mentioned, Portugal FC, so Jorge Mendes is has played a very, very active role in making that transition. Again, Nuno is also Portuguese and also a client of Mendes. And we're seeing again with Arsene and Wolves, uh, sort of Dependence on these super agents to bring in players, which I'm I don't really agree with. I think that's not great because of the pure conflict of interest that these guys could have. So, but wolves again, uh, I heard Nuno in one of the press conferences saying that they're gonna transition to a more ball playing, possession based system rather than the counter attacking system that they were playing. Uh, last few seasons, but they were incredibly successful with, so this transition seems a bit odd, but then uh, Wolves have tried, but not, it It hasn't worked so far. They struggled to create chances and get results, even against a subpar defense like Fulham last week. They didn't create a lot and in the end sort of got a 1-0 victory, but they weren't convincing, so I'm um, sort of wait and watch on Wolves this season from what we've seen. And I, I can't find any really good deals that they've done this season.
0: Yeah, I think the, the me, me and Josh have talked about this, about the whole Hoover deal and how he is actually a very versatile player. So for his age and for his price, I think it was around 10 odd million. That was probably the best deal that they've done in terms of the value for money, especially as you highlighted how expensive Semedo was considering his age and also his, how Barca's stance on him was, as as well as Fabio Silvers, Uh who was one of those players that can play almost any position in the back four. And to get someone with that kind of potential and with no buyback, I think, right, Josh? I don't think there was a buyback on that deal.
2: Yeah, just a sell-on on close.
0: That's it. Yeah. So for that price and for that age and for that versatility, I think they've done a really good job. I, I don't know. He probably does not have any prime experience. So, it'll be interesting to see how Nuno uses him and if he offers him a role into that squad. But, yeah, I I agree with you. It was a very shady uh, transfer season. Transfer window, sorry. For what do you think, Caleb? Anything else you'd like to add on before we close it off? Yeah,
1: I just wanted to touch upon the fact that, like, you know, these Portuguese clubs, they make some really good deals. If you just think about the deals that happened this season, Fabio Silva, the Ruben Diaz deal as well. Last season, we think about uh, in January, the Bruno Fernandes deal and the João Felix deal. It's been happening for so many years. The Portuguese teams, they bring in a lot of money for these players. Uh, As far as back as, uh, you know, Di Maria and Matic as well. I don't know, like, in terms of this being a transfer episode, I thought I should just bring that, you know, to point. Like, it's very similar to how the English... Market works as well. Like the English players have the tax on them, where they are more expensive. I feel uh, they're doing something really good in the Portuguese league, and they're building these players up, selling them for high prices, and that cycle keeps repeating. Uh, it's a good, good start for I think budding players, Portugalers.
0: Yeah, as in, I, I read an art article recently on the Athletic, or not recently. But um, not that we're anyway affiliated with the Athletic and not, not that we're getting any marketing from them. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so I read that uh, in Wolves because there's a lot of Portuguese players. They they like to stay together and they stay in the same gated community, and they all talk in Port- Portuguese, obviously, and they all support each other, and that's a really big motivating factor for players to um, uh, for players to come in. And I, I know it's a conflict of interest, and Vishnu did just touch upon this, but I, I do like that whole welcoming nature that the players have, because it is difficult to come in from other clubs into England. And because, and I think we've also talked about this in the pod, like how generally in other clubs, um, in uh, clubs around Europe, you can get away without speaking any English, most commonly Spanish. Um, but in England, you would have to know English to to survive. like martial really struggled when he came in from france he didn't know a word of english even even ronaldo as well when he came in so to have a club where you could settle in pretty fast have make instant friends as well as and have a whole cultural aspect and also live together that's a really big factor for all these especially young players of portuguese descent to to come into the premier league but yeah i but
1: well, For sure, De Maria would have probably wanted a few Argentinians with him in Manchester. Yeah, but all the baccala and faster
0: snake.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still kind of salty about that. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I think you've got a lot more things to be salty about. Don't worry. Oh,
1: good. I'm um, like bloody pickle. pickle.
0: Yeah, we're not. We're not getting started on that every report podcast we have to bring up united yeah yeah
1: remember. no what what i did actually want to bring up again was uh, like the deals that liverpool did you know did complete and having that sporting director like i had mentioned before uh, that united like michael edwards did really well with that jota deal in particular there was no news like out there did you guys hear any news before you know before it was in advanced talks that jota is going to be signed and they brought it home really quickly That is something that I really like to see when it goes with uh, when clubs deal with transfers, I think Chelsea also did a good, good job with that in terms of like you know the one deal in particular habits was a little bit dragged on. Uh, However, like I just want to stress on the fact that that sporting director that vision for the football club means a lot uh, when you're trying to build something so kudos to Liverpool and uh, the structure they have uh, in place.
0: yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Do any of you guys have any closing thoughts before we before we
2: end the pod? No. I think it would just be interesting to see, obviously, it's the last week where clubs can buy players from the EFL, so Ben Rama maybe to West Ham. Exactly. Uh, Josh King as well coming over to the Premier League. It'll be, it'll be exciting to see which players come over, to be honest.
3: Yeah, the Ben yeah. Rama deal, I think, collapsed today.
2: Oh, no, no. So I think,
3: yeah, so... Yeah, so Josh King would probably be likely. No. Josh
1: came to uh, Josh King to West Ham, is it?
3: Yeah, probably. The as far as I heard, the Rama deal fell through and the that's DJ... kind of
1: unfortunate. Would have loved to see him in the
0: Premier League. Do you know why more, my, more clubs haven't gone after him? Is it because of only a single season that he's he's performed? Well, well, initially,
3: fun. Chelsea was registered with a small interest, but I think they were quoting really high price, sort of 30, 35, 40 million.
2: Yeah, 30 is... mil fee yeah. for a player that's only established themselves in the championship is very steep, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, There's still a few the...
1: other players in the championship that our clubs would be looking at. Ismail Asar yeah. at Watford as well.
3: Yep. Max Aarons hasn't been sold yet, right? He was also... Max That's good was,
0: didn't he have interest from Barcelona?
3: Yeah, Barca. Yeah, he did. Bayern, and Bayern
0: as well, yeah. And
3: Liverpool. I think the early stages before you guys went for Simicas.
0: No, I think Over we here. had... for Japan, Jamal, Jamal but, Lewis. Well, That
2: was Jamal Lewis, my bad, my bad. Also, David Brooks as well from Sheffield United. I hope he comes back. No, yeah, not United, just Sheffield United, United, sorry. United Bournemouth, Bournemouth.
3: Yeah,
1: Oh, yeah, that's a so suspect deal for sure. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure how I
3: feel
1: about that. I would
0: rather go for Ismail um, Uh Yeah. Well, I mean, let's not talk about United on this podcast, please. <laughs> well, yeah, I also concur. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I think we'll wrap this up for this for this session, for this part then. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you so much, Josh. Uh, love to hear you know your thoughts insights more on the pod if you're free that'll no... be great
2: yeah Love it yeah.
0: mate. cool thank you so much thanks boys Vishnu and Caleb for your invaluable insights
3: <laughs> thanks George, for having us
1: yeah, uh, yeah Josh it was great having you hope you join us uh, more often we'll be doing this maybe two or three times a week so keep coming back on
2: yeah definitely cheers lads all right then bye guys have a good
1: one